We've been in this uh, series on Philippians over the past few weeks, and the main series idea has been that we are citizens of heaven. I have the privilege of wrapping it up as we look at chapter three. And just to recall, if this is your first week joining us or, um, you know, so much has happened in this past week. So the bringing up the speed with what uh, this series is really about is that there was this great tension in the city of Philippi where there was a strong but small church that was new and just building up uh, in a very important city in the kingdom of Rome at the time. You see, Philippi was an outpost of Rome. And the goal of Philippi, what they set it up for, was to be a mini Rome in that whole entire region. That they would spread the ideals, the beliefs, the characteristics of what it meant to be Roman into the whole region around it. Paul writes this letter to these, to these Christians to actually help them push against that, to remind them that their allegiance is in Christ, not in Rome. He's urging them to live different than the greedy, self-focused culture of the day. And that theme continues through the whole letter and is actually picked up once again here in chapter three. This is what it says in Philippians 3, 18 to 20. Paul says this, For as I have often told you before, now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned this before, this this outpost of Philippi. The reality was if you were born in the city of the, the Philippians, you were actually legally a Roman citizen. From that moment on, because you were just born in Philippi, you were legally a Roman. And that citizenship came with lots of benefits. It was important in the day and age where your citizenship was held. And the fact they were all Roman citizens was a big deal. But what also came with that, and it's even implied in this passage, was this draw to live as other Roman citizens do. In this time, in this day and age, the Romans were so full of hedonistic pleasures. They were seeking after their own ideals. Each person was, was trying to build their own kingdom. Immoral acts and selfishness were rampant. This is the backdrop of what the culture of Rome was in that day and age. And the sad thing is, is that same draw to live like that is just as real for us. Nowadays, it seems like we don't talk about this word citizenship that often. Maybe if you're applying to be a Canadian citizen, um, it might be an important thing. But for most of us, um, being a citizen of Canada isn't something you think about really at all. You know, it's not something that comes to your mind that you think about, that you're focused on until you find yourself at a border crossing. Until you find yourself at that security lineup wanting to get on a flight and the person walks up to you and they ask this for the simple thing that hopefully you have in that moment. They say, can I see your passport? You see, passports, I don't know what it is with them. If you've ever gotten a passport, you know that they have a gift at giving you the ugliest picture that you send them, and you never look good in your passport photo, you know? Uh, what I would give if to have a lifestyle, you know, passport photographer, okay? If, if you could think of making that happen, let me know. But you have this ugly picture, you pass it to the guy, and there you're cleared. They know that you're a citizen of Canada. They know you're cleared to fly. I remember my first time traveling on my own. I was 15 and I was going on a missions trip to Costa Rica. 
I was so excited. We'd spent months and months planning and preparing what we'd do when we got there, how to build, how to mix the drywall thing in the container, how we're going to do kids' ministry. I was prepared. I was ready for the trip, and our whole group were unified, and we're so excited to go. Uh, the morning of the trip came, and it was only a couple hours before our flight took off. And my dad was driving me, and he was so proud of me. He was so excited. We drove to this meeting spot about halfway towards the airport where we all loaded up in one van, just for simplicity, and all the parents were saying goodbye. We had a little moment. We prayed. We, like, hugged my dad. It was, it was an awesome, awesome moment. Until the group leader uh, turned to the group as we were jumping on the van and was like, Remember to have your passport for when we go through security. Just have it handy, okay? And in that moment, I froze. And it dawned on me. Guys, I didn't have my passport. I had a huge travel backpack. I had all the things. I had an extra roll of toilet paper. But I didn't even think about bringing my passport for the trip that I was about to go on. And so in this moment, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. I turned to my dad. And my dad, he'd never been prouder. Like his eyes were like misty-eyed, his head held high. He was like, his little boy's going on a missus trip. You know, it was like this huge rite of passage moment for my dad. And I turned to him and grabbed his arm and was like, Dad, I, I don't have my passport. I think it's at home, maybe. And uh, it was a very quiet car ride on the way home. Let me just say that at least. Uh, we drove home. Luckily, we found it. And, uh, and then I don't, I don't know what came over my dad, but in this Vin Diesel, Fast and the Furious way, he ended up actually almost beating them to the airport. Like we arrived at the exact same time, even though we totally had the backtrack. Um, but I learned my lesson that day and I learned how fast my dad could actually drive. So it was a great day for me. But could you imagine trying to fly internationally or cross the border without your passport, without proof that you're Canadian, without a record that verifies who you are and what country you're from? It's in those moments of pressure at a, at a border crossing or, or in an airport security line where our citizenship is more important than it is on a regular basis. It's in those dire moments of importance that it's so important to have your passport with you to know and be able to prove that you're a citizen of that country. But in the city of Philippi at this time, the followers of Jesus lived in that same pressure constantly, almost every single day. They were constantly being harassed by the Roman group, by people that we, we quote as enemies. These were people in the Roman culture that wanted them so badly to put aside their newfound faith and belief and conform with the culture of the day, to stop living different and actually just join in what everyone else was doing. And if it wasn't bad enough for the new Christians that have that pressure, the majority of, the, of this community pushing against them, in chapter three, we actually read that there was another community that was out to get them too. There were these Jewish Christians that were teaching this false doctrine that they had to first become Jewish in order to be true Christians. So not only are they not Roman enough for the Romans, but they're not Jewish enough for the Jewish, and they were lost and confused. They didn't know where to stand. They were stuck at this perpetual border crossing, not sure what step they were supposed to take. And here's the thing. Even tonight, guys, we can fall into the exact same trap. 
We can lose perspective on what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We can forget how our faith really works and we can lose focus on what Christianity is really meant for. And tonight, guys, we also need to know what is our proof of citizenship? Because in these polarizing times where people are divided, we need to focus on what really truly matters and forget the rest. In Philippians chapter three, Paul addresses this tension they were feeling head on. He shares from his own experience of what it truly means to be a citizen of heaven, to know what is our passport of our faith? Where can we find confidence for what we believe in? And if you're here tonight and you're just kind of burnt out by religion, if you're here tonight and you're kind of confused about what the point of all this is after all, then I hope you lean into to what God has to say in Philippians chapter three. This is what it says in verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow it's hanging to the resurrection of the dead. Within this passage, there are so many key things and you really do see Paul's heart for this church He wants them to get things figured out. He doesn't want them distracted by so many things. Paul steps in the middle of this crossroads of this church face and reminds us how we find our citizenship, but also how we find what our citizenship cannot show us. Firstly, we need to know tonight that our citizenship, citizen, this is a hard word to say a lot, guys, that our citizenship is not found in our past. Paul makes it very clear in the passage that he just shared that he considers it all lost for the sake of Christ. He just finished sharing about his reputation as a Jewish man, that he grew up as a part of the tribe of Benjamin and had all these accolades, and yet he considers it all lost for the sake of Christ. Your past does not define you as a citizen of heaven your upbringing as as a Jew or your upbringing as a Christian, those things don't matter. They make no difference. I grew up in a a family where my parents actually came to know Jesus when they were in their 20s. They uh, both had an encounter as a young adult and they wanted to raise their kids um, to know God at a young age because they hadn't experienced that. And so they were very purposeful from a young age of how they're going to raise us and how they're going to introduce us to Jesus. Guys, you, you wouldn't be able to understand how many VeggieTales episodes I watched growing up, okay? I'll, and how many, I went to like every single Christian camp. My whole summer was like VBS after VBS. My parents wanted me to know Jesus. They wanted me to, to follow him. But the reality is, whether you, you have a family that, you know, tried to show you Christianity from a young age, every single person makes that decision for themselves. You can't be born a Christian. You know, it's a choice you make. I have a, a great privilege of, um, of not just um, serving on Sunday nights, but we also run a youth group at, at the house. Um, it's, it's on Tuesday nights, just launched a, f- a few months ago, and it's been exciting to see what God's been doing with it. 
Um, it started super small, just a couple students here at the church, um, but it has now really grown into its own full ministry. And a few months ago, actually a few weeks ago, rather, we did a survey just kind of asking the students what they were thinking about it and what their feedback was on the ministry, what, what we could grow on, what we can improve on. And some of the feedback was that they wanted more food and more snacks. Uh, some feedback was that they wanted a ton more games, even though that, I feel like that's all we do on, on a youth night. But there's this one question that we asked that um, I thought was so fascinating with the responses we got back from it was, the question we asked the students was, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? And one middle school student said this, it was something I was forced into at first, but I have now grown an understanding of who he is to me. And like doing what I do to make spaces for teenagers to meet Christ, that is like the coolest thing I've read in a long time. That for this student, they're, they're getting it. It's real to them that Jesus has showed up in their life. And so, you know, I'm excited to, to have a baby boy and raise him as a Christian. But the reality is we all come to a place in our life where they make that decision for ourselves. Your faith isn't inherited. Unlike traditional citizenship where you can be born a Canadian, you can't be born a Christian. And you know what's so exciting about this? If your past is just rough, if you were in the last thing, the farthest thing from a Christian home, we're on the exact same playing field tonight. If, you're, if your past is full of brokenness or maybe you're aligned with another religion or maybe you're just, just searching and confused and this is one of the first times you ever hopped into a church, we're on the same playing field tonight. Your past doesn't matter. Those things don't make you a citizen. We're all welcomed in. The second thing that Paul shows us is that our citizenship is not found in our works. He says, by not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. This is one of the most liberating and exciting things that we see in the Bible. Your works don't save you. You don't have to measure up to be, to be approved and loved by God. Our hope to be transformed by Jesus is an exciting thing. And we really do believe that if you're following Jesus, if you're living as a Christian, that good works should follow after that. I hope that when you experience the love of God in such a tangible way that out of that, you're generous with your time, your money, maybe even opening up your home. These are great things. But at the end of the day, Christianity is not a naughty or nice list. It's not based on the good things that you do. You don't have to be good enough to make it into heaven. That's not how any of this works. We don't put confidence in our own works to free up a spot in heaven. That's not right at all. And guys, any works-based faith that is out there, first of all, it's been there since the very beginning of the church and it's a disease. It's totally against what the gospel stands for. Religious systems that demand good works and force that adherence from their followers is manipulative. It's anti-gospel. Christianity is not this bait and switch where come to church, free gift of salvation, all's good, and then boom, it's a trap. You know, now you got to serve in kids ministry or now you got to like drive the shuttle on Sunday nights. It's not that at all. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that sometimes God calls us to do uncomfortable things. 
That sometimes God's spirits will just speak to us and give us a vision to serve the poor or to, uh, or to give money to a, a roommate that is a little bit short on this month's rent. Who knows what it is? God will call us to do uncomfortable things. There are moments we have a burden for the poor, a burden to support the church. Those are real things. But we don't do that to earn our salvation. We don't do that. We're not demanded to do those things. And I'm also not advocating for a passive faith here either. That, oh, as long as I greet once a month or because I volunteer in the coffee shop, I'm good with Jesus, okay? The reality is, is that our citizenship is not found in our works. Those things don't make us a Christian. You don't earn it. Our citizenship is found in nothing else than knowing Jesus. That's the passport. That's the proof of your relationship with him. That's the main thing that matters. Paul says it like this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And this word to know in its ancient language is this relational knowledge. It's this deep, ongoing, active knowledge. And this is key to everything about Christianity. It's about our relationship with, with our God. He wants you to know him and he wants to have community with you. Our past, our works, all these things, they don't matter in comparison to knowing him. That our creator, the one that made us, wants to have relationship with us. It's one of the most compelling and exciting pieces of our faith. I have another question for you guys tonight. And I really hope that the answer is no. But have you ever watched a Christian movie? I got some head nods. I got some people that are just avoiding eye contact from you. But I mean like a truly like produced in somewhere in the United States Christian film. Okay. Guys, I'm going to go out and say it. Every Christian movie is the absolute same, okay? There's a sports player um, that has a hard time, prays, and then wins the championship, okay? That's the movie. Every, they're, they're all the exact same. I'm not totally trying to just hate on them. I'm sure they're, I'm sure. Somewhere out there, there's a good Christian movie. But uh, as a person who loves film and loves cinema, I have yet to find one, okay? That's just my experience. Um, there's just something about Christian movies where you're, we're watching them and they're like filming someone praying and there's like slow piano music. And it's just, it's just too, I don't know, it doesn't come across right. It's too disingenuous or it, it's just too awkward, Something about a capturing on camera it just doesn't do the same purpose of how significant it is in the moment. That's my experience. I, ho- I don't want to offend you if, that's your, if you have a favorite Christian movie out there. But I recently watched a, a particularly um, not my favorite Christian film uh, with my parents. They wanted to go see it, and I agreed. Uh, we went to the theaters, and we watched a Christian movie. And uh, the main character wasn't a Christian. And so there was a Christian in the film, very clearly, uh, that was kind of sharing their faith throughout the film. And you kind of got the idea that, you know, they're trying to make this, you know, connection. Um, Anyways, the main character asked the Christian, this belief in God thing is kind of a big deal for you, right? And then the Christian character kind of sheepishly 
kind of like with a deep Southern accent responded, yeah, well, the way I see it is that it's more of a relationship, you know? And guys, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But hearing those words on the big screen with like country music playing in the background, it kind of made me cringe a little bit. It just, it was kind of, kind of cheesy, kind of just way too awkward for me. And this idea that Christianity is, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. This has been so popularized in our culture today. You almost kind of let it pass over your head. But here's the thing, guys. This is one of the most groundbreaking truths of all. That our Christianity could be a relationship with the living God. And this is so outstandingly different than all the belief systems in the world, than what anyone else is talking about or offering, that we can have a connection with the living God. Atheists claim there is no God. There's no even spirit within us. Agnostics claim that if there is a God, we can never know he exists. Muslims believe in an all-powerful God, but he's not personal. He's not someone you can know. Buddhists and all the other worldviews ignore God or there's many gods or that we are gods. There's so many different views out there, but Christianity has always stood set apart as different than them all. Jesus came and showed us that we can have relationship with God. And beyond that, he gave his own life on a cross. He surrendered himself so that our, our bondage that separated us from God will be absolutely crushed, so that we could have access to him, so we could have a connection with him. Guys, don't let this ever become cliche. This is one of the most incredible truths of what we believe, that we can know God, that we can have a relationship with God. I'd like to invite the band to come back up. Timothy Keller, he wrote a book on prayer and he says this, Christian prayer is fellowship with the personal God who befriends us through speech. So how can we know God? Through prayer, time in his word, moments of worship like we're having tonight, moments of silence and solitude. God is with you in those moments. We know God when we spend time with God. This whole belief structure, it's a relationship. That's what this hinges on. And maybe we don't talk about it enough. Maybe we, we get lost in the busyness of, of all the peripheral things, but the main thing is that God wants to know you, that he loves you. He's crazy about you. Paul in his final appeal to the church of Philippi. Guys, this guy was in chains for this belief. He was in prison. These were some of his last words on earth. He says this in verse 12. Not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Paul, in one of his closing thoughts, the prize that he's talking about, this citizenship we have with God in heaven, it's about our relationship with God. It's about knowing him. He doesn't want us to miss that. There's so many exciting things that we can do with our faith. We can serve people. We can help the poor. We can support those who are broken. But all that's got to come out of a place of just relationship with Jesus. Don't lose sight of that. Maybe you're hearing me out tonight and you're that person in the room that is a total skeptic. You just, you don't buy it. Or maybe something's happened to you this past few weeks that's just really kind of shaking your faith and, you know, you just kind of came tonight out of desperation. And you're like, okay, how can this Paul guy say this? You know, how can he have a relationship with this invisible God? How can we know God? How, how is any of this actually true? Are you really buying it? And eight months ago, if you ask me that question, even though I'm a pastor, even though I've, I've followed God my whole life, I, I don't know if I'd have a quick answer for you. I'm like, that's, you're right. Okay, invisible God relationship. That's a big one. Eight months ago, I'm not sure what I would have said right away. But over the past few months with, with my wife, Morgan, being pregnant, guys, that boy has changed my world. I've never met him yet. I haven't, I haven't seen him. I haven't had the chance to hold his hand or, or hold him. I, I've never seen my son. But guys, you have no idea how much love I have for him. The connection I have with my son, even though he's still, Morgan's still carrying him around. I haven't met him yet. Is one of the most realest things in my life. It's an invisible connection. But guys, the invisible things are just as real. The connection, the love I have for him, I could go on forever. And this pales, just doesn't even compare to the love that God has for you. There's no question about it. I would do anything for my son and I haven't even met him. God knows everything about you. He knows every mistake you've ever made and he still went to the cross for your sin and your mistakes. He knows all your dirt and he still loves you anyways. That's a love we'll never fully understand, but I want to. I want to know Christ. Yes, to really know him. This is our passport, our proof of citizenship, to know him, to have a relationship with God. It all comes down to that. In a couple moments, we're gonna sing this song, I Surrender. And it's just an anthem that we wanna show love to a loving God. You can sing with us. You can think over the words. Let that be your response tonight. That our life, we've tried on our own. It's gotten us, it's gotten us nowhere. God, would you help me?
I surrender to you. But before we do that, I just want to speak some words over you, some truths, some maybe even cliche truths of what we believe in in our faith. Reflect on these things. How often do we just slow down and really remember what we believe? Do we just zoom through life? Do we just run at a pace that we can't keep up with? Let's just slow down for a second. I want to speak some truth over your life. You can close your eyes, rid yourself of distractions, whatever you feel comfortable with as I speak this over you. You are created by a loving God who has a remarkable plan for your life. Your past doesn't hold you back because his mercies are new for you every morning. God doesn't want performance. He just wants your heart. We are invited to help others in response to the love he has for us. You are not alone, never. You are a citizen, part of God's family. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for every person in this room tonight. Thank you that you went to the cross for them, for their mistakes, for our bad choices that needed redemption, God. You came and you saved us because of your love for us. God, I pray that in response to that, that we will just want to know you. We'll want relationship with our loving creator. You didn't create us by accident. You want to be involved in our lives and the choices that we make. You invite us to relationship. And tonight, God, for those who have pushed you away, God, I pray that over the next few moments that we will let you back in again tonight. That people will come back to the love, to their first love of you, Jesus. We look to you tonight. We love you, Jesus. Amen.